Hi everyone, Alon here from Panda. We're here for another episode of Pressure Point and I'm excited to have Mike Stopforth with us. A bit of a different take on our Pressure Point podcast. Generally, we have HR leaders in the studio with us, but today we have Mike who cares a lot about people but comes from more of a business mindset. So we're here to talk about leaders' role and the role that they play in creating a positive culture, looking after their own mental health sure. and the journey of leadership. So there's a lot to unpack. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Alon. Yeah. So thanks for being here. Um, I think a lot of people know you, uh, but for those that don't, do you mind just giving us a reminder about your journey, but about your background, and then we'll, we'll go forward from there. Yeah. Thanks, Alon. Um, I'm an entrepreneur by, by nature. Um, I used to run an advertising agency called Cerebra. Um, I sold that business uh, a couple of years ago. I've been building um, another agency since. I also care quite a lot about uh, education in the digital space. So I've got a business that does um, digital products around literacy and helping leaders understand emerging trends like AI and blockchain and cryptocurrency and all these weird and wonderful things. Um, but a little known fact is before I did all of those things, um, before even I thought about being in an advertising agency, I did a, um, what did they call it at school? An aptitude test, right? <laughs> With like a career counselor. Uh, and that person said to me after that aptitude test, you're a people's person, so you must do HR. <laughs> so I could have very realistically gone down the journey of talent development. Um, and actually, uh, not, not weirdly, uh, quite naturally, it was the part of running my business that I felt most naturally drawn to and uh, interested in. I was a terrible salesperson, but I was really good at um, building teams and building culture and nurturing talent. So yeah, not not that far from your normal um, conversation, I don't think. No, that, that's awesome. I think, you know, I've met a lot of people over the years from Cerebra and I think something which does resonate across the board or is consistent across the board is the culture that you built there. And yeah, it's nice they, to know, yeah. you know, that people felt that they were cared for and it was more than, and I know it's a cliche and some people don't like it, but I think it's important is it felt like a family. So how did you get that right? Like what role did you take in creating that culture, especially as the team grew over time? Yeah. I, look, I think it's always easy in retrospect to kind of analyze um, how this way, and sometimes even to change the narrative about how it was created or sustained. But I think by and large, and especially in agency, people heavy businesses, uh, culture is going to be a fairly natural byproduct of your personality, certainly in the easy, uh, in the early stages of growth. Um, you can't help but be yourself, um, especially under pressure, especially when things are tough. And and that behavior will ultimately crystallize and manifest in, in some sort of a culture, explicit or not. Um, and then over time, you realize that culture is a big part of what makes you a viable employer, makes you the kind of business that people would want to stay at, contribute value to, um, be excited about arriving at. You know, all of these things become increasingly more important, not just because it's nice to do, but because that's how you keep a services business um, running and profitable. And so I started thinking a lot more about how we codified culture, how we made it real and tangible for people. And I realized, I think quite quickly, that half of the battle of leadership is just communication of those, those principles, those things that you decide are important to us and, and pillars of the value we deliver. And then 
consistency, just repeating that stuff over and over and over again until you're sick of hearing it yourself. But I don't think you can ever say and reinforce those things enough. Um, yeah, and, and that really was the very simple formula that I think we kind of commit to at an early stage and it really paid dividends for us. Yeah. So I just wanted to be practical. So, I mean, did you have cultural values that you, you know, try to live by? And how did you ensure that they weren't just values which existed in, you know, a PowerPoint presentation somewhere and like yeah. lived by the organization? I heard a client say once, yo, we've got values, but the person who has the closest relationship to it is the person who cleans the Perspex board that they're mounted on in the <laughs> in the entrance hall to the to the business, in the lobby, you know? Um Look, I think I think values are a really interesting topic. It's a topic I love because every business has values, whether they're explicit or not. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched Wolf of Wall Street. Great movie, right? Jordan Belfort and this Stratton Oakmont bu uh, business that he built. That's a business with very clear, explicit and descript values. Not necessarily great values, but everybody in that business knows what it's about, knows what they're working towards. Everybody's aligned. You could place all sorts of moral and ethical question marks around it. But the bottom line is values are really about what you, the gap between what you say you are and what you actually are. Um, and the more explicit and specific you can be about those and the more you can weave them into behavior, um, the more powerful they can be. So we called our values habits for that exact reason. Um, and that became an acronym and that, that acronym stood for have fun, um, act bravely, be loyal, inspire growth, take initiative and show integrity. Those were the, we wanted them to be quite like, act, like you said, practical and action oriented. Um, and then they weren't just in the PowerPoint presentation. They were the way that we interviewed people. Um, they were the way that we evaluated performance. They were things that we told our clients about when we were pitching for new work. Um, every quarter we would have something called quarterly courts where we um, uh, recognized people that had achieved, um, but you know, in terms of voted for by their peers in those values. So it was, again, reinforced over and over and over again. Um, when we did onboarding, we spoke about the values as kind of central tenets of the business, but we didn't just onboard um, new people. We onboarded everybody every time we did an onboarding. So an onboarding also happened on a quarterly basis. And then we would get other people in the business to talk about the importance of those values. So we really inculcated them. Um, and to the point where they became part of the lexicon of the business beyond Craig and my direct influence. Um, and that was when we knew we'd, we'd done something right. It became sort of um canon if you like uh, in the business yeah. yeah i love that i mean never heard of habits before but i mean that's what you want them to be that's something that should be cutting naturally muscle memory right exactly yeah. and i mean it sounds like i mean you clearly achieved that and again testament to the countless stories from ex staff members i think it was saying that you lived you didn't just preach from the, the ivory tower so maybe fine large we tried um maybe just to kind of touch on a point that you're making here i think it's two things when you're evaluating performance right it's the the what that people do mm. and it's the how people do it and another point is well how do you also ensure there's accountability right because it's quite easy to be a nice guy right and kind of let people have freedom but you also need to hold them accountable so how do you get that balance right and kind of get those cultural values you know, living or modeling positive behavior, not negative behavior. Mm. 
So one of the things we realized around accountability is that it's one thing measuring someone's performance um, mapped against a job description that was issued to them on day one or as evaluated by their three closest colleagues. But there was something else to be said around how quickly services businesses tend to grow and change and how deeply those businesses are affected by the types of work and clients that you're doing work with. And I don't want to be presumptuous that this is the same for every type of organization. That's why I'm being quite specific about service-oriented businesses. But what I realized was a lot of people in our organization didn't fully understand how their contribution made a significant difference to the big picture. So number one, they might not have even known what the big picture, what are we trying to achieve? Well, what are we working towards? Um, how do we even know that we're doing well as a business? Like, or are we just pushing all the time with absolutely no kind of goal in sight? So we were quite um, transparent about what we were hoping to achieve um, on, on, on quite hard metrics, right? On commercial metrics, um, on growth, on profitability, because then we were, we were able to demonstrate to uh, individuals that might have felt at times in the business that their work was inconsequential or hard to measure, that nothing was. No, no behavior, no decision, no action, no, no thought behind that action was going to be inconsequential. Everything sort of had, a, had an impact in some way on what we were trying to achieve. And it was on us to communicate that. Like it's very difficult to expect people who maybe haven't had the level of exposure or experience that we'd been privileged enough to have in business up until that point. It's very difficult to expect those people to just kind of know that by osmosis. Um, for most people entering the workforce, like it's a highly anxious transition time. Um, we're so, you know, for, 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 for good or bad, we're so defined by our professional uh, choices and careers that you know, a, a big change in what you do and who you work for has a significant impact on identity. And like, I think it's easy to forget that sometimes when you've worked through and up the echelons of business and you're comfortable and you're benefiting from all the perks and all that, the upside of, of power that comes with the, the upper ends of those hierarchies. But like, it must be really tough starting again and starting anew and learning a new way of doing things. And bringing uh, your reputation and your your track record to bear in those environments. So I think we, we realized how important it was from very, very early on to provide people with that sense of belonging. Um, and, and not a belonging, like this is like, this is how you alignment. fit in. Yeah, alignment, yeah, a context. Um, you are this piece in this very big puzzle, but without that piece, the puzzle looks really weird. Um, and, and I suppose what we trusted was that we were doing the job of hiring mature, adult, uh, mature adults who were knowledge workers, who were you know, like able to kind of infer for themselves some of the responsibility that came with that. I think if you have to parent your staff, there's something else going on there and some other kind of psychological, social dynamic that probably needs to be interrogated at a deep level. Um, yeah, so trust was important. Yeah, it's important. And I think people lose sight of how do you provide that context, right? How do you ensure that people know, well, this is my day-to-day -day and this is how it fits into that larger puzzle? Yeah, sure. Um, sure. And how did you do that? I mean, how did you get people bought into, one, that, that big vision 
and two, like understanding, well, you know, this is what I'm doing in my day to day and how that fits into that big vision. Well, I mean, if I want to get really explicit, I mean, like, <laughs> I know this is going to sound um, strange, but we told them how we made money. Like, this is, how, this is our business model. This is exactly what we're doing. This is how we price things to customers. This is how what we pay you translates to what we charge customers. Transparency. Um, all of those things. So just getting a good sense of the, the, the mechanics under the hood of the business. Um, and that might have meant a level of vulnerability on our part. But you know, if you really peel back the layers of service-based businesses, and especially the advertising, media, and communication industries, it's really difficult to make, to build robust businesses that make decent money over time without manipulating staff or blind customers. And, and I'm sad to say that a lot of businesses achieve um, at least you know, kind of short to medium term success on one or two of those bases. Um, but I like, Maybe it was arrogance and maybe I sound sanctimonious saying this, but I was also kind of like, it was always a dare. What if we could do this and like sleep at night? Um, and, and I think, you know, by and large, barring one or two big wobbles and years where, you know, we weren't as profitable as we wanted to be or people weren't as happy as we hoped uh, they were um, or they could be. Um, yeah, we, we, we found a, a medium that was manageable in, in that regard. Yeah. And I think that once people understood that there was a correlation and a relationship between these things, we do well because we're fulfilled, not we do well at the expense of being fulfilled and, and happy. You know? I think that's powerful. And I think it's, you know, that foundation of trust, if you can be that vulnerable and that honest with employees, then they're going to trust you, right? And they're going to yeah. leave you. Well, you have you. to back that up, I think, with action as well. But yeah. Important. And well, I guess, how do you measure that? I mean, how are you measuring that you were getting things right from a culture perspective? I guess, bottom line, revenue, easier, right? The metrics are there, the objective, they're measurable. But how would you measure, like, are, are employees happy? Like mm. as you said, you know, there were times they were and there were times that they weren't. So how did you get a pulse for that? Yeah, great question. So... <laughs> Uh, there's an adage that says, if you want to find out what a company's really like, ask people who just left it. You know, okay. So one of the big things for us was tracking the careers and progress of people who'd left our businesses, and not like like Big Brother, but getting a sense of how they were doing and if they were happy and healthy and well. And many of them went on to start amazing businesses that they ought to be very very proud of today. Some that have started businesses that have done much better than Cerebra could have ever dreamed of doing. Um, Many of them uh, went on to client-side positions and did very well and, and have grown in their careers. Um, and, and some even came back and did second and even third tenures at, um, at Cerebra, which was always cool uh, to know that they would consider doing that. Um, the other one is the anecdotal evidence of what people have said since um, the, the notes that we get from time to time, the, the mentions that we get on the odd LinkedIn post, that is really encouraging knowing that people do look back quite fondly in context of their broader careers and go, that was a time where you know, I, I was paid fairly for the work I did. Um, I grew, I learned things, and I left hopefully a, a more whole, healthy human being than when I, I And that will absolutely not be true for everyone. I know that for a fact. Um, I think if your business is all things to all people, then it's also probably not doing its job. Um, there are some people who you will never um, be able to connect with or there might just be kind of 
our way of doing things or our personalities will will you know kind of cause um friction um yeah so i think you can obsess to the point of paralysis over making everybody happy and that's probably not a good idea um but yeah i um i i think we 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 walked that tightrope um carefully and and i think the results were there afterwards but those are not all necessarily pure metrics but they were good yeah. indicators but i think they're great indicators and i think right. that's an important and admission or realization right around you know it's not always right for everyone right and you can't aspire to be a, to right for everyone and i think yeah. no knowing that as an employee knowing that as an employer is also important and you know being able to have honest conversations both ways because there's trust around well this is or isn't working is also important and part of you know being a, a leader and having those uncomfortable conversations yeah i think that's part of the adult journey right like we eventually realize we are who we are um, and we reconcile and and kind of connect with that and in an authentic way. And then we realize there's maybe some relationships in our life that aren't healthy uh, for that, and that can often lead to some quite tough conversations. But I certainly grew up as a type two on the enneagram, uh, uh, you know, kind of a helper by trade, um, desperate to do what I could to make other people's lives easier. And that's a wonderful gift, but also quite a it can be quite a destructive personality trait if it's not managed carefully and in a healthy way. So you can be so obsessed with making everybody else happy that you run out of um, appreciation for yourself. So yeah, I think it's a it's a skill to hone and um, and develop. Yeah, yeah. I want to. There are two points there I want to you know double down on. I think the first is. You know, you started up front that, you know, part of your passion is helping people, developing people. I think that is something that you got right, you continue to get right, is that talent management, that talent development. What are some of the things that you feel you did right, you know, then now to help young talent succeed and grow within the organization? Yeah, I think we realized very quickly, my partner and I, that the generation that we grew up in is is substantially different to the world generation circumstances reality that young people are growing up into today and there are things that might have been important to us at their age that aren't important to them and vice versa and um, i thrive in structure so i my solution to this was to create a lot of structure and certainty um so one of the models that we made again i'm going to use the word canonical in cerebra was something that we called the the talent matrix or an hr matrix um, talent matrix definitely sounds better, uh, but essentially it was a, a standardization of seniority and earning potential against um, verticals in the business. So one of the things we noticed in the advertising industry was some role descriptions or verticals, creatives versus client service people versus strategists. Some of those pillars were awarded for no apparent reason more than others. Um, the one that would maybe be obvious is development resources, which were a little bit more scarce and considered more premium, were earning on average more than their uh, peers with the same amount of experience. But apart from that, very obvious explanations. Um, there was no real explanation for the other ones other than kind of just folklore, right? Um, so building this model enabled us to create a fairly structured career path for everybody in the organization. We were able to say that... Um, if you want to progress and if you're ambitious, there's a very clear way to do that. There's a very clear way to move from client service into community management or creative into strategy or any of those um, parallels. Um, 
There are things that we expect everybody in this tier to know, understand. Now, this is certainly not a new idea. I mean, a, a business like Procter & Gamble or, or uh, Deloitte will have very established um, salary tiers and and progression models, and, and those are, are great. They can also become debilitatingly um, uh, dogmatic. So we wanted to avoid that. So we also use these this framework and this model um, to kind of fuel the way we thought about connecting people socially in the business. So instead of saying all the creatives are going out for lunch, we would go, okay, all the mids are going out for lunch. And all they, you know, there would be a lot of kind of collaboration and cross silo connection as a result of that. Um, so yeah, it, in, in an industry where sometimes that stuff is neglected, I think, and a little bit more um, reactive, we try to be super proactive. And to answer your question, I think young aspirant, people who had a real expectation of career progression and growth could see very clearly and very explicitly how to do that and how to achieve that. And, and so conversations around growth and earning potential and incentives, there was always a non-emotional objective, but this is how we agreed we were going to do this together and we can have a sensible discussion that doesn't feel like a character assassination because this is what we're all doing. We're all on this board together. Um, and that helped That helped a lot. Um, because otherwise, I think you know, a lot of these conversations can be lost in translation between generational um, perspectives. Yeah. So that was one of them, yeah. Um, I, I think that's awesome. I think it goes back yeah. to the theme around transparency. Uh, but what I also love about it is getting people to think more broadly about their careers. I think, mm -hmm. you know, if you start off as a creative in the industry and you think your only way to grow is to continue along that creative path then that's the only way you're going to think you can grow but you yeah. automatically becomes quite limiting yeah. exactly you're helping people know and making it quite transparent and quite clear around well you can start off in this box but you can find yourself in a completely different space in the, the future so it's just broadening those horizons and i don't think it's easy for people to kind of take that step back and look up yeah. So, so quite powerful in helping people think about their own career development. Yeah, yeah. I think we also realized that one of the mistakes services businesses make is that we assume that everybody wants to be a manager. Like you, you reach a level of seniority and then the next step is now you have a team. And I, I think we realized quite quickly that there are a lot of people who don't want that. They just want to become extraordinarily good at the thing that they do at a premium level, at an exceptional level. And if... You know, I as a you know one of the best graphic designers on 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 the planet can do the work of ten juniors, uh, you know, for the same time, and and then I probably should get paid that without having to manage a team of ten juniors, which I don't really want to do. Um, so we realized quite quickly that that we had to create space for specialism and expertise, and not everybody's a generalist, not everybody loves working with groups of people, and so the career paths also created tendrils for specialization versus kind of team oriented or management oriented um so almost like consultants versus uh managers um yeah and then i think also creating the space to hear about what was really important for that generation of of talented individuals my business partner must be credited with this it was one of his best ideas ever um he brought into, when we merged our businesses, brought into the merger a concept called BBGs, 
which stood for be, be brief, be bright and be gone. Um, and it was essentially a, what we would call today an all hands or a town hall model. Um, we've borrowed that from San Francisco, but it was an hour meeting um, every Friday morning at 8.30. And it was the only non-negotiable thing in the Cerebra Diary. Um, pretty much everything else could be compromised on, but for 13 years, um, BBGs were gospel. And... Um, and starting on time was important to us. The, the BBG was split into four 15-minute slots. Um, anybody could propose a BBG, BBG topic. They could present on a client case study, a book review they were doing, or why they were really interested in exploring psychedelics. Uh, it could be anything, uh, the new puppy that they got. What they, the onus was on them to use that 15 minutes as productively as possible because they knew that their employees their employees, their colleagues would all be there paying very close attention to what they were doing. Um, everybody respected, admired, and valued the time that we had together. And we learned a ton from each other in those moments. So creating those spaces for, for interaction and learning and sharing, and then Craig and I using those moments to also do the important or tough conversations just meant that A, we reduced the amount of anxiety around the conversations that we had to have that might not have been easy, but also um, gave everybody uh, equal footing in terms of a platform for engagement and growth. Um, so yeah, acknowledging that everybody has value to offer and then creating a platform for it was a big part of, of the value he brought uh, to the business. That's awesome. And I think just contributing back to your connectedness as well across the organization. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just touching on, you know, you, you advertising agency is stressful right it's you know services business it's often tight deadlines long hours uh, you know that starts to take a toll and i want to touch on two things and you've touched on the one briefly but like one how did you ensure that the the team could handle that right it's a stressful environment and you're asking a lot from them and i think you've created that positive culture but how did you provide them with care at the same time and i think that was part of the culture but was there anything else that you did to ensure that they could thrive under that pressure in a consistent manner? Yeah, so I guess the, the question there is why are advertising businesses known to be, why is there this hashtag agency life mantra around if you're going to work in advertising, you're going to work 12-hour days and it's going to be insanely stressful. That's just part of it. you know. And, and I think the reason is because of some of the stuff I mentioned before is that there's this endemic dysfunction in our industry where there's a, 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 a power imbalance between the clients and the service provider that maybe is not the same for a Deloitte or an Accenture or a, a McKinsey or whatever it might be, uh, and the same clients offering a similar sort of model. You know, um, There is a, a sense of we can't run this business profitably unless we squeeze every last ounce of productivity out of our employees. So... Like if I'm billing somebody out at six hours a day, we can't be profitable. Um, so I've got to bill them out at like nine hours a day or whatever it might be. Um, there's And then the third, I think, factor was the thing I mentioned earlier on where people don't actually understand how their work contributes towards the value creation potential of the organization. So the first two, I think, are not the responsibility of the employee to fix. That's my, if I can't build a business that can sustainably report revenue growth and profitability 
while staying within the constraints of not just labor law, but also what I deem to be a reasonable expectation of an adult human being's <laughs> awake hours, you know, like, and I didn't want people to hate working at our business or feel like they were beheld into a condition that was like borderline slavery. I didn't think that, like, I just didn't imagine that being the kind of business that I wanted to be a part of or, or lead. So really, we had to then put the pressure back on ourselves and go, well, how do we create the kind of organization that can build reasonably and competitively, report a profit, but also not expect people to, to murder themselves to, and what we expected from people was what was within the constraints of labor law. Like we needed seven productive hours from them a day. Um, and, and, then, and then when people said, well, Mike, I can't do this because I'm stuck in three for four hours of meetings, we went, okay, we need to fix meetings. Meetings are broken in our business. How do we do that? What, and, you know, and like we kept going, okay, well, there must be a better way to do this that uh, allows people. Um, does that mean that people never work late hours at Cerebra? Absolutely not. Um, of course they did. Of course we would have high pressure situations around pitches where all of a sudden everybody was scrambling to get work done within ridiculous timeframes. Did we always navigate the power imbalance between ourselves and clients in a healthy way? Absolutely not. We would take a lot of abuse. We would be part of the, the cattle show that, uh, that uh, pitching often is. Um, but we were always trying to, to find a better way, um, a more productive, a more constructive way to do it. Um, I'd like to believe that most people that worked with us were able to live productive, engaging, busy lives in Cerebro, but also normal lives at home. Um, and didn't feel like they had to compromise on one or the other to do so. Um, but yeah, you, I suppose you'd have to ask them if that was absolutely true. Uh, but yeah, I, I, my challenge to people who say it's impossible to run an agency under those circumstances is, well, what, why? Like, what, why is it impossible? What conditions make it impossible? And if it's a, you know, like everybody undercuts everybody else to win pitches, I still have a response to that. I go, well... Maybe you need to be more specialist in what you do or be a deeper um, uh, a specialist in a specific vertical so that there's less competition in that space. But there's always an answer. There's always a way to do it better. Um, but I realize now I sound like I'm preaching, so I've got to be careful. No, but I think uh, it's important you, you question the status quo, right? Whether it was internally or externally, right? Oh, Ensure yeah. that time's well spent and you're being efficient and your output based versus clock watching, which I think a lot of organizations fall into the trap of, you know, kind of watching the clock and not actually worrying about, well, is the output there? Are people working efficiently? Are they? Then I'm parenting people, yeah, right? Exactly, so, which, yeah, exactly, which you weren't doing. I think, you know, the, the kind of closing question, this could be a podcast in itself, and you, you touched on this point was, well, you know, being a leader, right? being an entrepreneur, and, you know, I think, again, we could have three more podcasts about your, your journey post Cerebra, your journey as an entrepreneur leading Cerebra um, and on everything else that you're doing in the digital transformation space. But just, you know, focusing on being a leader, being an entrepreneur and your own mental health and mental wellness, right? Like you're carrying a lot, right? I mean, it's clear hearing you, like you, you cared about your team, right? And, you know, caring about a team, caring about a team that big, worrying about their development, worrying about, you know, these um conflicting objectives of well we need to drive revenue but we need to treat people fit. like all those things are tough right how did you how did you prioritize yourself and look after yourself yeah so i don't know that i did i think that was something that i had to learn or do some work around afterwards i think i worried way too much about being liked and my ego definitely dominated um 
the early part of my Cerebra journey. And, and as I got a little older and a little wiser and probably a little, little more cynical, I also realized that um, I was wrong about a lot of things that I assumed to be true um, or had learned to be true. And I guess, again, that's just part of the journey of adulthood. When we're presented with those types of with data like that, we either choose to double down on what we believe is the sole narrative that defines our worldview, or we go, okay, well, maybe there's some nuance here and I need to kind of think about that. So I think if, if my post-cerebral journey has been definitely more around doing some of that work, uh, you know, what is my what is my identity and value in the world if Cerebra is not in that equation? Um, and hopefully I've done some productive work in, in that regard. But yeah, I think, I think that's the journey of leadership. I, I, I worry that one of the definitions of leadership that we've become so accustomed to in the world is, is one that kind of embraces this my way or the highway, command and control, um, autocratic style. And I'm not saying that that doesn't work. We, there's overwhelming evidence that that can work and be enormously successful. In fact, you could even be the president of the United States um, <laughs> with that approach to leadership. Um, my question is whether or not long term, that's the most sustainable way to run organizations that promote um, profitability and health and um, minimal impact, but negative impact. Um, you know, when I start thinking about the importance of all of those things and the, the world that I want my kids to grow up in, um, thinking about being a more considered and nuanced leader definitely comes into the, into the frame of reference. So yeah, I've been trying to understand better what, what that actually looks like. Well, it seems like you're, you're getting it right. And I think you do find that, that balance and definitely, I mean, I, I think we've spoken a lot about Cerebra, but I think you're your own reputation is not Mark from Cerebra, it's Mark as Mark, right? And I think that's testament to what you built there, but also testament to who you are as an individual and as a leader, regardless of what brand is standing behind you. So, no, thank you for your time. Thank you for, for sharing insights, as I said. I Thanks very much. A lot more me. that we could be unpacking and hopefully we'll have you back, but hopefully everyone who's listened has enjoyed, has learned to light. I think this is really a masterclass in building a positive culture, building an organization, leading with care and getting that balance right around driving growth and profitability, but also caring about your people. So with that, thank you. And thanks again to Mark. Thanks very much. Cool.